Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. In the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we call on you today as we try to bring the good news of the gospel, your son's good news, to the people of Acadiana. Please be with us. Send your Holy Spirit to enlighten us. And we ask this as we ask all things in the name of your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You're listening to the Cajun Catholic Radio Show. I'm your host, Todd Citron. Today's fine guest is Father Floyd Kale. Retired from Holy Cross Church and just a legend here in Lafayette. Our co-host today is John Shakespeare, my father-in-law. It's a pleasure to have you both on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome, Father. It's a it's a real honor to have you here today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know everyone in Acadiana knows you everywhere you go, but but <laughs> but tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born in Cecilia, Louisiana. I grew up there, and I left home at the age of fifteen to attend the seminary at St. Joseph Seminary in Covington. And from there I went to Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans. And um, most of my life after that was spent in, well, all of my life was spent in Acadiana. I was stationed, uh, my first assignment was St. Peter, New Iberia, then associate at St. John's Cathedral, briefly in St. John's in Melville, Louisiana, and from there, I went to Richard, Louisiana. From Richard, I went to Abbeville, St. Teresa Church. Then I went to St. Genevieve. And from there, I went to Holy Cross. And after 12 years, I retired at the age of 66. Well, you know a lot of Cajun Catholics, it sounds like. <laughs> Just about all of them? Well, <laughs> I mean, I've been in this area for so long. Yes, sir. They, uh, it's very seldom I go to a restaurant, somebody that come to talk to me and say, Father, you did our wedding, or what was funny is I was at one restaurant one night, and a lady came up to me and said, Father, you remember me? She was in her 30s, I guess. I said, well, not really. She says, Father, I made my first communion with you. Oh, I said, it's all coming back. You were wearing a white dress and a veil. (laughs) (laughs) She said, that's right. And I'm sure when she got home, she realized that, well, everybody else was. <laughs> he really didn't remember me. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about, I'm curious, uh, back when you just, when you felt like you got the call, you said you were 15 years old. What What is it, how was your prayer life back then? Uh, how was your parents' involvement in that, and, and, and how did you know? Well, uh, Bishop Jamard came to Cecilia to confirm us. I was confirmed by him and ordained by him. But I was confirmed in 19... Um, in St. Joseph's? At St. Joseph's, uh, Joseph's Church. Uh-huh. Church in, in Cecilia. That was in 1938. Wow. And Bishop Jamard gave a nice talk about uh, vocations to the priesthood. At that time in my life, I thought a Cajun could not be a priest <laughs> because the only priests I knew were foreigners. And then I found out he was from Burbridge, I said, well, there's hope for me. <laughs> and he, uh, he gave a beautiful talk about people want to have their own priests, people from here. He says, if you do, then you have to encourage vocations to the priesthood. And I started seriously at that time thinking about becoming a priest. Then I made a retreat 
at Grand Coteau my junior year in high school. I was uh, 15 years old. And uh, when we got there, the retreat master said, one of the Jesuit priests, he said, uh, you will spend each one of you alone 10 minutes before the Blessed Sacrament. And uh, I really knew what that was. I, Mom and Dad had taught me well. So there I was all by myself with Jesus, 10 minutes. It was from 10 to 12 till 12 that day. And when I got up from that preview, I said, well, I'm going to be a priest. And then when I got home, being I'm an only child, my mother was waiting for me in front of school. I had never been away from home overnight. She said, well, how was it? I said, Mom, I'm going to be a priest. She laughed and laughed and <laughs> laughed. And she's still laughing in heaven, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been a wonderful priest. Uh, everyone loves Father Kale. And, you know, for me, I, I was we've been at Holy Cross for a long time with John and, uh, and, and the family. We followed them over. And it's, I've admired you from a distance, although I know you don't know me very well, but I feel like I know you very well. And it's uh, you've been a big inspiration in my life. Thank you. Um, so... Tell me again a little bit about uh, what is so. What's so special about the Cajun culture? And you mentioned that it would be interesting to have a priest that, that's a Cajun as well, you know. But what is it about our culture that you learned from your parents? That's in Brobridge, Sicilia is is a very special place. Where did they get their spirituality? Where do you think that all started? The amazing thing is that my father never went to school. Mm. My dad could not read or write, but he was an inspiration to me. I remember one time. I had promised someone to do something on a Sunday afternoon. And after Mass that Sunday morning, Father Brake, our pastor, invited me to go swimming with him and the other altar boys. I said, oh, of course. I went home and told my dad. He said, what about the promise you made to someone? Oh, I said, they'll find somebody else. He says, Flo, let me tell you something. If they can't trust your word, then your word means nothing. Mm -hmm. And I never, never forgot that. Sometimes you want to say no, or you want to give a reason why you can't do it. The reason is not really true. And I, I remember my father saying, you have to have a good word. People need to trust you. And God knows as a priest, they really need to trust you. I'm one of six boys, and I've heard my father tell several of my brothers, you know, that your name is everything. Your word is everything. I've heard that in many uh, tearful speeches that my dad has given because my brothers get in trouble all the time. <laughs> John, uh, welcome to the show, uh, and I know you have a good relationship with Father Kale, but um, you know, jump in. Well, thank you, Todd. Uh, thank you for inviting me, and thank you for inviting uh, Father Kale. I told Father Kale on the way over here to be sure to tell you his favorite stories, and it, that's how I know Father Kale through his wonderful stories. And, you know, when he was at, uh, at Holy Cross, he always begins his homilies with a story. Because he, and he makes people laugh. And I'd, I want to ask Father Kali, you told me once why you do that and what effect that has on the congregation. Well, I do it for two reasons. First of all, I need to be relaxed, and the congregation needs to be relaxed. When we're both relaxed, then it's much easier to talk. You feel you are really reaching the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I watched. Uh, I recently watched on YouTube your uh, at, at Holy Cross. They have the video of your 
The priest could ride yeah, his bicycle yes, How many years? <laughs> yes, sir. And that was beautiful. I mean, it's been such a long time since I've been able to hear you preach because it's been a while. But I know something that always caught my attention when you were at Holy Cross was when you went to consecrate the Eucharist. I, it's something that I've, I've seen uh, only happen a couple other times. But with you, it happened often where you, you really almost couldn't find the words to continue when you went to do the consecration. And it seems like like I made Curcio uh, back in 2005, I guess, and, and you know, there's some supernatural things that happen in Prairie Room, and I was touched, mm -hmm. and my mom was one of the women who started the women's Curcia there. And it always occurred to me, I, I, my wife and I would talk about, you know, hey, I think something supernatural is going on when, when, when the Father can't even speak, and that's going on. But what, what's, what's going on there? I, I, I mean, I, it feels like it's so emotional when you consecrate the Eucharist. And well, to think that God called me from Cecilia, Louisiana, to change bread and wine into his body and blood just almost paralyzes my mind. And uh, I remember the first time I did it, June 4th, 1950, in Cecilia, St. Joseph's Church. It was all in Latin then. I could hardly say the words. And I have the same feeling that I had 69 years ago. I've been a priest 69 years. Wow. So... Um, what a privilege to be able to say Mass. It is, and I know that it's such a privilege to also include your mom, and she was in Mass most of the time, or uh, <laughs> all the time when I was there, you know, and, and your mom lived to be, I believe, 101. Yes. And she's such a wonderful woman. I know she was so proud of you. And tell me a little bit about y'all's relationship. Well, my mother ran the show. I never had the last word with her. I remember one time... Uh, she would, when she lived with me the last three years of her life, she came to Mass with me every weekend. And uh, she liked a pair of uh, a pantsuit she had. It was green. And when she did that work, the, the pantsuit, uh, three weekends in a row, I said, Mama, you have the clothes. Why, why green all the time? She said, Flo, tell me something. Why do you wear black all the time? <laughs> <laughs> But I think John wanted me to tell a story. Yes, I did. Uh, I want you to tell several stories, but uh, I wanted to ask you something else. What was uh, your training like? Y you had to study Latin. Yes. Right? When I went to the seminary, I went after three years of high school. I had had no Latin. At that time, they had a high school seminary. So you had to have six years of Latin before you went to the major seminary. For me, that was Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans because the textbooks were in Latin. <laughs> so there I was joining a class who already had three years of Latin. I had none. The rector told me, he says, your grades are pretty good from Cecilia's school. He said, uh, why don't you try to do two years in one the first year? I said, I can try. So I did that. The following summer, I went to uh, Grand Coteau and a Jesuit taught me uh, the third year of Latin. So when I went back to the seminary, I was only one year behind. The following summer, I went back to Grand Coteau. And this, he was not a priest yet, he was a scholastic. He had just gotten his master's in Latin from Catholic University in Washington, D.C. He taught me a year of Latin in two weeks. <laughs> wow. And uh, he gave me an exam. He sent the results to the seminary. When I got back to the seminary in September, the rector said, there's no way you could do that. 
you'll have to take an exam now. So I did, and it's been, I guess, close to 70 years or more. I never got the results from the rector, but he told me, <laughs> join the class and go to Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Father, um, I know that you have a deep devotion to Charlene Richard, and I've read some of the stories. I, uh, we have a gentleman that worked at Hub City forever uh, named Albert Melanson, who, who visited the gravesite really almost on a daily basis and and he would go around the dealership and bring uh charlene's prayers and and the, and the little cloth and anyone that ever had any illness at the dealership uh this gentleman would just always talk about praying charlene he brought me out there um i brought several others out there but i mean this little cajun girl you know we have this show called cajun catholics that you're on here and there's this Cajun saint out there, and I know you're pushing hard for her to become a saint, but what's, when did you first be introduced to Charlene? Well, first of all, I never met Charlene no. Richard. Never did. Okay. Father Brendan, who was my very good friend, uh, was at Fatima at the time that Charlene was at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. She had acute leukemia, and the doctor gave her six weeks. She lasted three. Father Brendan went every five days a week to uh, visit with her, and one day Charlene's mother said, Father, I want my little girl to know she's going to die. Would you please tell her? Now he was a priest only three months and uh, he was asked to do that. He told her three things. Charlene, you're a very sick little girl. She said, I know that, Father. You will not leave this hospital well. I know that, Father. Soon a beautiful lady will come to take you home. Oh, she said, you're speaking of our blessed mother. When she comes, I will say to her, please be good to Father Brennan, because when I was sick, he was very good to me. And uh, every time Father Brennan walked in the room, she would say to Father, who would you like me to suffer for today? Twelve years old, that's, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And um, I never did meet her. I should have gone to the hospital, but I didn't. And in 1961, I was chaplain at uh, Charity Hospital. I preferred being a parish priest, but I was at, uh, at, the at the hospital. So I told Father Brennan, I really don't like it here. I would like to have my own parish. He said, well, Flo, call on Charlene. I did not know where she was from. Her address was RFD Branch, Louisiana. So I said, Charlene, please ask God to inspire my bishop to give me a parish. And three weeks later, I got a letter from the bishop appointing me to St. Edward Church in Richard, Louisiana. I called Father Brennan and I said, Joe, I've got good news and bad news. So what's the good news? I got a parish. Well, I said, what could be bad news? I don't know where it is. <laughs> he said, well, let's go look for it. And of course, he knew the, my, my predecessor because he was the pastor and they would meet at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital sometimes. When we rang the doorbell, Father BCR, my predecessor, said to Father Brennan, would you like to see where Charlene is buried? I could hardly talk. I said, Father, Charlene is buried here? Wow. At the time, he said, uh, she will be your closest neighbor. At the time, there were no graves between hers and the rectory. I went every day. And uh, the bishop's second, the second paragraph in his letter was, they need a church. My first Sunday, the collection was $78.75. <laughs> so 
So that afternoon I went to that strong mom and dad and I said, I don't think I'm going to cut it. And my mother said, Flo, if God wants a church, don't disturb him. If he doesn't, it's none of your business. But every day I went to Charlene's grave and uh, I would say, Charlene, your mom and dad need a church. Your brothers and sisters need a church. We all need a church. Please help us. What I thought would be eight or ten years away, two and a half years later on Thanksgiving night and my birthday, I said the first mass in the new church in Richard. How did you get the money? I wrote to people I will never meet on this side of the grave. I'll <laughs> tell you about the first one I wrote to, Floyd Patterson, the former heavyweight champion oh, wow. of the world. And his first name's Floyd, so is mine. I played around with that. And uh, he had just become a Catholic. So I wrote to him and I said, uh, I'm from the deep south, so are you. And uh, you know how racism is a problem. I'm trying to teach people to love everybody. I need a building in which to do it. Can you help me? After three months, I heard from him, apologizing for being so late. But the reason was he was in uh, Europe for three months. And uh, sure enough, one day I got this letter with the check for the church. Oh my goodness. And it worked so good, I started writing to other people. <laughs> now, how was I gonna get uh, Floyd Patterson's address. I had no idea how to do it, but I was uh, receiving Sports Illustrated. I knew they wouldn't give me the address, but I tried. I wrote to him. Sure enough, I got the address. Come on. Yes. <laughs> and uh, there's a beautiful church there in, in uh, Richard. A builder in Lafayette called me, and he says, Father, I understand you're trying to build a church in Richard. I said, you're using the right verb. I am trying. <laughs> Do you have the plans? Not yet. When you do, bring them to me. When I brought the plans to him, he said, this is what I'll do. I will build the church. Whatever it costs me is what it will cost your parish. Mm. And so we built the church. That's beautiful. So I know that you're a Cursiasta as well. Tell, oh, yeah. me, tell me when, which, when, was, when did you make Cursia and how was that impact on your life? I made number six Whoa. in 1965. I'm 393. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, after I made it uh, before I made it I sent five guys I figured they'll come back and tell me what it's all about and this is what they told me first of all they were crying I said oh my god I wonder what that's all about uh, father you, you're going the next to the next one I said well you know I can't go I have to say man oh no we took care of that we have a priest who will take your place and reluctantly, I went. Thank God I went. <laughs> because I sent maybe 30 men from Richard. Is that right? And uh, it strengthened that faith. They were able to defend the teachings of the church. They were proud to do that. And uh, I'm still a strong believer in the Cusillo. My Uncle Mickey was, uh, Mickey Forche was like Cusillo number two. And like I said, my mom always wanted to let, let the women enjoy it just like the men. But she used to tell me that in the kitchen when you walked out, and it's not there anymore, I wish it was, but they had a saying on the wall that said, you better dig your roots in deep because the storm is coming. You know, and uh, it's something that I always remember her talking about, but that's very profound. But um, I'll tell you a, a, a short story. I was scheduled to go on uh, the retreat uh, and make a Cursillo back in 1975, a friend of mine and I. And 
a friend of ours came back from the Casilla and he started wearing this cross on his chest about a foot long and started blessing everybody and it kind of frightened us then. We were very early on our spiritual journey. And I looked at my friend and I said, you still want to go? And he said, no. And I said, neither do I. <laughs> and I never did go and I, I kind of regret it today because I talked to so many people who have been and it was such an enriching experience. But it's the Axe Retreat, and I know John's real involved with Axe Retreat, and, uh, and I was had the blessing to do that through Holy Cross, and it's very similar uh, to the Axe Retreat. And then when you can get, I think, a man involved in his faith, and he can get his family uh, to buy into that, and uh, it, it's such a profound impact for me. I know it was. And Mom would always speak about the Blessed uh, Sacrament out there, how G they would, she would physically see Jesus in the Eucharist. She would speak of Jesus uh, with a crown of thorns walking towards her in the chapel. And I thought my mom was crazy. You know, I thought, wow, you know, my mom is nuts. And, and, uh, and, and, but she just spoke of it as a matter of factly. And she would say that they would call the bishop and say, what, what do we do? You know, the supernatural things happening out there. And the bishop would tell them, just consume it just have you know the, the the priest out there consume it but you know that's that's what i guess intrigued me about going and uh and i and i had a um, a different kind of supernatural experience but but something that i knew the first night that my life would never be the same you know i just couldn't stop crying and <laughs> like you talked about your 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 friends but um that's wonderful but uh, anyway, you're listening to the Cajun Catholic Radio Show with uh, Floyd Kale, with uh, Father Floyd Kale, who has uh, just been a super blessing to Acadiana. He is the official, non-official uh, flag bearer of the Cajun Catholics uh, movement, and as far as I'm concerned. And uh, tell me about your prayer life. I mean, what is it? Is it changed than it was when you were a kid, or have you just stuck to something that, that's an everyday? Well... Priests are supposed to read the breviary. It takes about 45 minutes. For about 18 years, the breviary was in Latin. I got absolutely nothing from it. So uh, what I, I realized is the difference between saying prayers and praying. And for many years, I said prayers. I really didn't pray that much. But for the last several years I get to church in the morning mass is at 9 I get to church about uh, 10 minutes to 8 and uh, just me and Jesus in church and maybe 2-3 other people until the crowd starts coming in and then I, I go hear confessions but uh, I sit down and I know that Jesus is in the tabernacle and I just talk to him and that to me is praying not saying prayers it is you know I always I know John I like to, when I'm praying and praying a rosary, I, when I, I like to get to the end because I want to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I, I want, I, I would rather listen than talk. I, I have a hard time doing that, but, uh, but I, I, I want to know what God has to say to me. Um, that's beautiful. Uh, so um, uh, n talk about uh, your travels. I, I, I know you probably traveled a lot in your life. Uh, have you been to the Holy Land? I never have. Not something I've never been across in. the pond. <laughs> Would no. you want to go? No. <laughs> I, not, not at this stage of the game. <laughs> so I'm laughing at John because I got to go a few years back with my daughter, and I asked him this same question, and he said, no, I don't want to go. And then, he, then he, he finally went recently. You did? 
Yes. Tell us about that experience. Well, uh, my wife always had a, a yearning to go to the Holy Land, and for some reason or other, it just didn't uh, appeal to me until I heard about uh, Father James Martin. He was leading a, a, a tour to the Holy Land, and uh, I talked to some parishioners that had been, and they said it was wonderful. And so I told my wife I wanted to go, and she says, oh, yeah, now you want to go. You know, <laughs> she w wanted to go with Todd and his daughter. But, but we went, and we, uh, just a couple of months ago, and it was a wonderful uh, experience, just a wonderful experience. Some, some of it was some uh, surprises to see the, the place. I think the most meaningful was uh, the Sea of Galilee was just beautiful, and Gethsemane. That was the two things that impressed me most. Did you go to the upper room? We went to the upper room. Yeah, we went to the upper room. And we saw many of the sites, and they were, they, they were uh, just beautiful, but uh, the, the Garden of Gethsemane was just the thing that really impressed me. So, Father, you won't believe this, but I went to the Holy Land with a group from Cecilia, and uh, I did, and, and uh, Father Mike Delcom w had led it, and Father oh. Mark Toops, and I went with Father Mike's parents, and, and uh, one of the things that happened in the upper room with us was the tour guide said, oh, y'all are all from Louisiana, look what's, on, look what's up on the pillars, and on all of the pillars in, in the upper room are <laughs> pelicans. There's, there's pelicans everywhere, and that's when the story of the, of the pelican being a representative of the, of the Eucharist and Jesus, you know, came out and they said it has big traditions with, with the people and, uh, in the Holy Land. So that was fascinating to me, you know. Um, but my favorite was we, we got to go to Samaria and we went to the Jacob's Well. Mm -hmm. And we stood at the very site where Jesus and the woman at the well uh, was there and my daughter Jessica got to got to read that Bible that whole Bible story uh, while we were standing right there with a group uh, a group from Cecilia it was beautiful very nice uh, my reason for not wanting to go is physical mm -hmm. I have trouble with my knees and I I couldn't I couldn't do it mm -hmm. but if I did go the first place I would want to go to is the upper room That's where it all began. Holy Thursday is such an important day for me when we celebrate the institution of Eucharist and priesthood. Yes, it's, it's, it's a very special place. We have just a, a minute or so left. Uh, again, you, you've been listening to the Cajun Catholic Radio Show. It's just such an honor to have Father Kale. Uh, this is part one of a two-part radio show you can tune in next week to hear the rest of father Kale's stories but um you know he's just such a a, a testament to the faith here he is uh, again i feel like the leader of the cajun catholics and represents us so well and um god has truly blessed him and to be here today with him is an honor for john and i um so uh just uh, a little time left in in, in this segment uh, father um you know they said that when on on Pentecost that Mary was, w was with the the apostles in the upper room and they were scared you know they were scared and and and, and that it was Mary that kind of I guess got them through that that fear um, but um, is that uh, why the upper room though you mentioned the upper room and uh, why is that your that's where he instituted the Eucharist yeah. 
first time he changed bread and wine into his body and blood and gave the power when he said do this in memory of me do what what I've just done mm-hmm. it's beautiful well, again, you've been listening to the Cajun Catholic Radio Show. Thank you for tuning in today. Again, tune in next week, and we'll hear the rest of Father Kale's testimony. Thank you, Father, for being here this morning. Welcome. Okay.